Hi, my name is Bill Cumby. I'm a teacher at uh, First Church Ministries in uh, Newport News, Virginia. And uh, I teach Sunday school classes, uh, generally books of the Bible, and we're going through the book of Ephesians now. Uh, this is the third uh, uh, lesson, and it's uh, actually one that I've uh, pushed forward through because I, I really think there's a message for us now. We're sort of in uh, the week before Easter, and it's also a um, time of great um, unsettling events with the coronavirus out there that's uh, sort of uh, upending a lot of our plans uh, and, um, and endangering a lot of people, and uh, a lot of people are sacrificing a lot to help others, um, and we just really don't know what's going on in the world, and I think um, this message is particularly important. So the second one was a bit rushed. This one is, is a little bit more leisurely. Uh, I'm going to open us in prayer now, and we'll talk a little about this, uh, this prayer of Paul for the Ephesians. Lord, we thank you that you love us and care for us. We thank you that you've given us your word, that we might know you better and love you more, that we might know each other better and love each other more, um, that you would teach us the right way um, and help um, encourage us in times when times are difficult and also to rebuke us when we've gone astray. Um, but most of all, just to draw us closer to you in love. And we ask that you open your word to us now. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I, I talked in the first lesson a little bit, the background about Paul and, and, and the church in Ephesus. Uh, during Paul's second missionary journey, he passed through Ephesus and with Priscilla and Aquila. And uh, I, it appears the church was started then. He left Priscilla and Aquila behind. He went on to Jerusalem and on his uh, third missionary journey, he passed through Ephesus again, and again, Ephesus is in Turkey, about the middle of Turkey, and uh, towards, towards the coast, though. And he actually um, taught there for about two and a half years. And then, um, then he finished his third missionary journey and uh, went to Jerusalem again, where he was arrested and incarcerated for several years, first uh, for about a year and a half in, in Jerusalem area and then for a year and a half up in Rome, where he faced trial before, before Nero and was probably released after that. So um, this book of Ephesians was written, um, was written when he was awaiting trial for Nero, most likely. We're not sure which exactly, but we think that's the time period. Um, something happened in Paul's third missionary journey um, between the writing of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Um, where Paul went through a real time of struggle. Um, and we see in 2 Corinthians a struggle there that was never before. And I highly recommend 2 Corinthians if you're struggling because Paul talks about the fact that he in his heart felt the sentence of death and that was so he would trust in God and not in himself. I think Paul came to the end of his rope at one time. And so we see that in, in 2 Corinthians. The reason I say that is because uh, after that, he also wrote Romans, and Romans, uh, on his, again, on his third missionary journey, both of those were in. And Romans is sort of the outgrowth of 2 Corinthians. It's a very doctrinal exposition. It really talks about what does it mean to be a Christian, what is the whole reality of our life in Christ, the fact that we are now part of the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit dwelling in our lives. And again, Romans is an excellent, excellent book about... Um, uh, the Holy Spirit's role in our life, particularly Romans chapter 8. And if you have not read it, I would recommend Watchman Nee's Normal Christian Life, excellent book about 
uh, walking in the Spirit and, and the importance of the Holy Spirit. Um, and then uh, he was incarcerated for this time. And I, I used to say that that was uh, when I was teaching that, that that God had to slow down Paul. I thought God was slowing down Paul so that he could write these epistles that he wrote, the prison epistles, uh, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians primarily, which have a very cosmic view. It's, there's no other way to say that. I mean, uh, you, know, you want to... Um, uh, so we're a little hesitant to go around the supernatural, but Christianity is a very supernatural religion. We, we, that what is in nature is only part of reality, okay? And, 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 and uh, uh, most of the other supernatural stuff is, is, is wrong. In fact, almost all of it, except what's revealed in Scripture, is wrong. Uh, but, but there is a truth other than this. And so he wrote Ephesians. He wrote Colossians. He talks about us being seated in the heavenly places in Christ. He wrote Philippians, which talks about the comfort we get in trials when we go through trials with Christ and, and, and the body of believers. And then he wrote Ephesians. And Ephesians is a book about the church, okay? But it's not about us. It's not about the church. It's about Christ, okay? But, but to really talk about Christ, um, we need to understand the glory that God has destined for us as the church, okay? And so we see here this passage here that, I, that will come to It's a splashlight every time. I might actually put what lessons in there. It might be helpful to do that. You know, I'm just in some ways making up outlines and stuff as I go along, hopefully not making up the Word of God, but, but, uh, but actually formats out there. Um, but it says, in him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness is of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Everything has been forgiven, and he, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, and then in bold, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, this is the truth. We are not going to become gods. Okay? That's not what's going on here. And yet, our intimacy with Christ is something that exceeds any other kind of intimacy with anything or anyone else. And we will be closer to God than anything else in eternity, including angels. Okay? And some of that he's going to be talking about here, and we're going to be going through it in the book of Ephesians. Um, but I, I just want to emphasize the fact that it's about Christ. Okay? The reason your sins are forgiven is because you're in Christ. And we, t we talked about that, uh, uh, the last lesson is if you look in him, in Christ, through the book of Ephesians, there's almost every other verse talks about that. And, and, and it's, it's only through him that we have that. So this is a love letter. It's a love letter uh, that Paul writes from God to us. Okay? And one of the things that, that he writes about, and he talks about, and we talked about last, uh, the last lesson about the Trinity, but here he said, so he's, he's, talked to the, he's talked to the people of Ephesus. He's opened up with how great God's plan is. And his plan is to unite all things to Christ, in, in Christ. Uh, and he talks about the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. He talks about the Father loving us and lavishing his grace upon us. And then he has a prayer for us. And if you ever want to know how to pray, these are great prayers of the Bible. There's another one. We might be able to close with it if we have time. And in, in chapter 3, verses... Um, 14 uh, through 21, which is another great pa prayer of Paul. Um, 
If you're ever wondering how to pray for somebody, these are things to do. This is how Paul prayed. This is what's in here. This, so let's take a look at this. Um, um, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul was always praying. Now you think, but, but once you tell God, he knows. Well, you know, again, the prayer of the uh, persistent widow with the judge in, in Luke, uh, Luke uh, I think it was 18, that we talked to, that you can take a look at. And he talks about God wants us to be persistent. Now, he doesn't want us saying the same thing over and over again and wrote, but he wants us to truly implore him to come, to help us, to be with us. And this is the prayer. That the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the, what is the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him fills every way. So again, we're going to go through this in sections. Uh, I want to talk right now. It says that the God of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge in him. You cannot comprehend what God has done without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is key to this. You cannot figure out what God has done. You have to take it by revelation. Now, it is reasonable, and when you receive it, you can see the reasonableness of it, and yet the revelation is supernatural, and the comfort is supernatural too. So you might be able to reason something, and reason might help you be comforted, but reason doesn't comfort you. The Holy Spirit comforts us. Um, and he talks about having our eyes being enlightened, the eyes of our heart being enlightened. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Um, what hope has he called us to? What is the hope God has called us to? It's not that we have a, a, a good life here on earth. Okay, We, we Avoid suffering and pain. Rightly so, okay? I, I, don't, I don't think we should seek out pain and suffering unless, per se, that pain and suffering leads to a, has a redemptive value to it. In other words, people might suffer pain and they might suffer to help another person, okay? Uh, but, but not in and of itself, just to flagellate yourself, to flagellate yourself. There's no merit in that. But there is a uh, hope which he's called us to, uh, an eternal hope, um, that makes us realize that what the pain and suffering we have here on this earth is transitory and passing. Um, and there's a riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints. So that's actually, it can be read two ways. It could be that God treasures us, the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints, that, that, there's an, that, that Christ has an inheritance in the saints, that Christ has redeemed us, and that's the riches of the inheritance. I think there's a truth to that, as hard as that is to believe. Uh, I think there is a truth to it. He does value us that much. But I also think that, um, that 
uh, we have those riches. We have an inheritance. We have something at the end of the rainbow, so to speak. Now, Christianity is often poo-pooed as pie in the sky and something in the thing not here in the, in the future. That is true. I have to say this is true. That's not the whole truth, okay? The comfort of the Holy Spirit in our life with God now uh, really does give us great riches and great treasure. And yet Paul said, if we have life, uh, if we have hope only for this life, we're to be more pitied than all men. There's a suffering that goes on because of our lives, because we know there's a greater reality on the other side. And so um, we even see Jacob, when Jacob was talking to Pharaoh, said that his, his life, I think, was 126 years or 137 years. Maybe, but they were, he said they were few and painful. Um, and yet he knew there was an inheritance on the other side. So there, is, there is something we wait for a promise on the other side. Let me talk to you a little about this, 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 uh, this line here, though. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, because it is the key to this passage. Okay, there's actually two keys to this passage. Um, I, I, want, I want to take you back to 2 Kings. So what does it mean for the eyes of your heart to be enlightened? So, so God is always present. This is a passage that, that ties in directly to what he's talking about, our eyes of our heart being enlightened. There was a time when the king of Syria was trying to get hold of Elisha, because Elisha was telling the king of Israel every plan that the king of Syria was making. He was upset, and it says, and uh, the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing, that, him telling the secrets. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words you speak in your bedroom. Um, and he said, go and see where he is, that I may seize him. And it was told to him, behold, he is in Dothan. And so he went there with his horses and chariots and a great army. So an army comes after him, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots were all, was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with him. And then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, please open the eye, his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elijah prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck him with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elijah. And Elijah said to them, this is not the way, and this is not the city, sort of a Jedi thing. Uh, follow me, and I will bring you to the man you seek. And he led them to Samaria. And when they get to Samaria, their eyes are opened, and they're captured. And Ahab wants to kill them all, but he says, would you, you don't kill them. You know, he actually feasts them and sends them back, and there's no more war between Syria. So, and the reason I include this, by the way, is because at any time, this last part of the passage, uh, those horses and chariots could have attacked, but, but that was not the ultimate plan of God. Okay? Uh, God had other means to deliver Elijah. But this is the thing. Those horses, they, the, those horses, the chariots of fire uh, that were surrounding that, that when he prayed, they were there before he prayed. He doesn't pray, oh Lord, surround them with horses and chariots of fire. He says, Oh, Lord, open my servant's eyes that he can see those chariots of fire. That's the eyes of our heart. See, 
Elisha saw with the eyes of his heart. Elisha saw the realities that we can't see. And so when Paul's talking about the eyes of our heart, he's talking about something that you're not going to be able to access physically, okay? It's not, you can't see it with your eyes. It's the eyes of your heart. It's, it's, a, it's a reality there. By the way, big plug for Sundays. Um, the Sabbath, the, the moral code, the Ten Commandments, um, are, are, I often say are ten rules to live a happy life. They're, they're broken into two parts, okay? Most people say parts one through four are talking about God, and that in uh, the Sabbath is the fourth one. And the, and the uh, last six are talking about our interactions with man, and that's true. But really, they're broken into three parts. The first three are about God. The last six are about man. And the one in between, the fourth one, the Sabbath, is sort of the entryway into eternity. So God said... One day a week, which is a blessing, I want you to rest. That, but, but there's something special I want you to do on that day. I don't want you to go about and do your normal things. I want you to take time to reflect on eternity and to reflect on your God and who he is. Now, in the fullness, we also worship in that. We come together as a body of believers, or at least we have been until, until this coronavirus thing. But the truth is, is that it's a time of fellowship with believers and fellowship with God, understanding what God has for us. We cheat ourselves when we fill it with activities, okay? This is the time with the eyes of our heart, and we can be quieted and we can see there's more important things than getting that next raise or buying that car or even getting the date with that girl that you really want or um, you know, or, or solving problems in your marriage that you might have or, um, you know, helping your kids uh, with sports or whatever. There's more important things out there than just that. And so the Sabbath is there. The eyes of our heart are important. So how do you exercise the eyes of your heart? Well, part of it, a large part of it is reflection. Um, and I, I don't... I, I, I don't say empty your mind. I say reflect on the Word of God, okay? So there are truths in the Word of God that as you look at them, they, you, you, you see more, and you see more, and you see more. Uh, and we're going to do that with the rest of this passage because the, Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened that, okay, going back, you may know the hope which he called you. So what is the hope is he called for? One day, eternally, forever, we can't, we can't even gasp, grasp that. So, so I'm in my 60s now, and uh, I tell you, time flies really quick. Um, and 60 years really doesn't seem like 60 years to me, okay? Um, it doesn't seem like three times 20 years, I'll tell you that. Um, but it is, it's a breath compared to eternity. Eternity, we will be with God through eternity. Uh, by the way, I do not think that means that we will be without time. I think we've crea we're created as physical creatures, and I think there'll be a time aspect to things. And so we'll be able to enjoy that, too. You know, you know, there's an enjoyment, I'm sure, in eternity, timeless eternity, but there's also a time period, too. And Revelation talks about a thousand-year reign, and it doesn't seem to indicate that time will stop after the thousand-year reign, either. So... So I think we'll, there'll be, we'll be in a, a time-space matrix, and we'll be enjoying it. We'll be having the time of our lives. So that's the hope which he's called. But not just that. 
I, I watched a show last night. I, I would recommend it. It's called Victory. Uh, it's on Netflix and it's also on Disney Plus. But it's the uh, the hockey team um, that that won the uh, in the Olympics, 1980, the American Hockey. Now I questioned all that was done to win that, okay, because the coach was driving, drove them so hard. It, but it was a timeless, it was a sort of a timeless victory type thing, I think, a moment to remember. Um, we will have those kind of moments to remember in eternity, okay? Uh, part of what we will remember is what happened here on earth, okay? Um, and and, and um, we will see a lot of our sorrows uh, differently then. Um, but there's a hope he's calling us to now. There's a riches of his glories here, and there's something out there. So it is pie in the sky, but there's something now, too. God will be with us now in eternity. Not just in eternity, but now. There may be suffering now, but God will be with us in that suffering. And so he goes on in um, passage and says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe? So Paul is saying there's power to the believer. There's power in the blood is what we, we sing sometimes. There is power in the blood, okay? There is power for us who believe. According to the working of his great might, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but in the one to come. Now, the reason I, 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 you get old, you flit back and forth. The reason I mentioned the, the movie Victory is there was a, uh, they played the Russians, and the Russian Olympic team had people that had served for 15 years together, and the average age of the kids they were playing in the U.S. was 21, and Russia had won like 32 of the last 32 games that it played, and yet the United States won, okay? And you think, oh, it's spoiler, spoiler, Everyone knows that, but I tell you, you're on the edge of your seat, even though you know what's going on there. And that's sort of what's happening here. There will be a victory that no one expected. There is a victory there. There was, there was a victory with Christ, and that same power, he's saying that you'll know the power that raised Christ from the dead. He's not saying, yeah, well, God used his power to raise Christ from the dead, and it'll help you too. He's saying, no. I want you to know the immeasurable greatness of the power towards us who believe, okay? So the power that exercised to raise Christ from the dead is active in believers now. We don't access it, and, and, and I think it's abused at times, sometimes in, in, uh, in circles where it becomes presumption that God will do things. I, I have to say, and I don't mean to, to knock things, but... I think right now the churches, that are, the large churches that are meeting when the, gov the government's telling them to meet individually and stuff like that, I, I have problems with that because there's a presumption there that God's going to protect us. He's not going to protect the rest of the world. The rest of the world's suffering, but he's going to protect us. And I'm thinking, you know, there's a reason why there's lightning rods on the top of churches, okay? Yeah, actually, Benjamin Franklin was active about that, and it's like God does not, the, the, the rain falls on the good and the evil, but so does the coronavirus too and so there's a thing but there's a power that we do access and God can do anything and God can protect you from the coronavirus but that doesn't mean I would say you should go up to someone with the coronavirus and have them spit in your face to show that you believe because that's presumption okay but there's a power there we can trust God to take us through and if you get coronavirus we can trust God is going to take us through that I can't say 
that that is always going to be comfortable or it's always going to result in our life continuing here on earth. I, I don't want to uh, be pessimistic, but God wills as he will. Right now, uh, I have, quite honest, in fact, one of the reasons I pushed Jose to tape this today instead of a couple of days later is my companies. I've had a company that I've poured out my sweat and tears for five years, and it looks like it's probably going to go bankrupt right now. I mean, today, there doesn't seem to be much hope there for that. Even with the lifeline the government's throwing, it just doesn't, we just don't, we've lost too much. And uh, that's hard. It's hard to face. And yet I know that God takes care of me. How do I know that? Well, because I'm here now. Okay, I became a believer when I was 16. I'm 62 now. You know what? He has always taken care of me. Uh, I've always had food in my stomach. I've always had a place to live. I've always had clothes to wear. That's not something everybody can say, even when they're believers. That doesn't always happen. I've also had some horrible things happen. I've, and I've experienced some very deep depression where I just couldn't get out of bed. Um, but he was with me there, and he brought people into my life to help me through that. I think Paul's writing out of that, because I think Paul came through some of that same stuff too, that God is always there. There's a power that we have that we need to depend on. And I'm telling you, sometimes I do like the footsteps thing where it talks about there's two sets of footsteps, and you look over your life, and whenever it was hard, you only see one set of footsteps, and you wonder why, and you ask God, and God says, that was when I was carrying you through those hard times. It can be, you know, sometimes that can be, I hate to say it, but cheesy, but it's not. It's not that. It is true. There are times when you can't go on. You cannot do it. And God carries you through it. Now, he might carry you through it supernaturally, uh, or he might send a believer in your life, or he might be like Elijah. When Elijah was overwhelmed and said, I'm no better than my father's, just give, let me die, and he sends an angel and gives him food and rest so he can recuperate, it might just be the neutral. But God is always there. There's a power we can access in this time of trouble we can trust. And that power is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. So, and, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Christ, Christ lives in us, okay, through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. And again, the Trinity, we talked about that last time. Uh, they're so close to one another and so inner related and yes separate that's the the functions and we see that we saw in second corinthians when i read the passage last time that talks about the lord is the spirit and the spirit is the lord um there there's that intimacy there christ wants to dwell in your hearts through faith this is um this is the passage um uh, this is the same passage with Hebrews chapter 13 that I want to add on to it, um, where there's a benediction here. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. So Paul... You think, what's the one thing I could wish for somebody? What's the one thing if I did? That's what Paul was saying. The one thing I wish you understand is his power. His power. 
and his love. Okay, so here he talks about his power because he already went over his love. There's one other prayer in, in this passage that I'd like to read. If you could turn to Ephesians 3, I don't have it on the screen. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. I'd like to read that. Um, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole, his whole family in heaven and earth derive his name. In other words, the idea of family, the idea of fatherhood, the idea of community belonging together derives from God, again, from the Trinity. So, so it's something that it's a great blessing that he's blessed us with. He could have made us individuals. He didn't. He made us part of a body. Um, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Very similar prayer there. So that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. There is nothing more satisfying and more completing than love. Okay? We get glimpses of that in relationships with our husbands and wives or our boyfriend-girlfriend type thing when we really love somebody and how it fills us and completes us, but it's a shadow of what we have in eternity. It's a shadow. And so he wants us to grasp how, you know, he says, I want you to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. He wants us to really understand God really loves us, that, that this life is a gift, that the problems we go through are gifts, that, that even though they're not good in and of themselves, that he can use them to draw us closer to him so that we enjoy him more, that we appreciate him more, that we're with him more, and that we're going through it with him together. And then he ends by this, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. He's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or think. I don't know what God has for me in the, the company. I, 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 I really think the company that I have now is one of his test beds for me to learn to depend on him and to trust in him. And he is, he, there are many times that I've been delayed and, and then something's happened. And if it had happened at the time I wanted it to, it might have been the end of the company, but instead the company has a lifeline. Um, right now I have to say um, the coronavirus, the fact that the government's going to help pay payroll for a couple months has given me a couple months I wouldn't have had otherwise. He provides for that. Um, and so every step along the way is a step of faith, even when it doesn't look like things are going to happen. So I don't know what the situation you're in now. I don't want to make light of it. Some people are... are fearful for their lives, okay? They're sick. And I'm not thinking about getting sick. They're, they're, they're worried, worried about getting sick. I'm saying they are sick. They're, you might be listening to this in a hospital bed and really worried that you're not going to make it the next day. Uh, or it might be that there's not, uh, you have payments to make and you can't make them. Or you had a job but you don't have one now. Or, you know, you're worried about someone else in your life. 
But God has promised that he'll take care of you. He'll take care of you and he'll take care of them. And he wants us to pray about it. He wants us to realize that what happened 2,000 years ago wasn't a one, one thing. It, it, yes, it was one thing that changed the world, but through that, power flows out into other things too. And that God can change our lives and he can work supernaturally. And hopefully this, this devastation that's sweeping the earth will turn us closer to God, okay? I, I don't say that God brought it forth for that reason, and yet I know that it can cause us to draw closer to God. And so God wants us to cry out to him, have mercy on us and on others. Help us to love others. Help us to care. Show me in my life what I might not have been paying attention to. This can be a time of growth in our lives. And a time we look back and say, hard as it was, good things happened in my life, and God used it. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you love us and care for us. And I, I do pray that you open my eyes and the eyes of um, others that they, we might see the great power that was exerted when you raised someone from the dead. You raised God. In, in eternity, we will be with you forever. And you've exalted Christ above all others. It's not, not just a raising from the dead, but a victory over all creation. And Lord, I pray that we might trust that you are still there for us, that you have never stopped working for us, that you have never stopped loving us, that you, you destined us from before the foundation of the world, and that you're working with us now and you'll be with us in eternity, and that we might take comfort from that and be encouraged by that. We ask that your spirit would be with us, encouraging us, and we thank you for your death, Christ. We thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you for your love. We pray these things in your name, Jesus.